How many of you are still trying to work God out? Are you still sort of say, well, I don't believe that because I can't understand it? Oh, well, good luck. Good luck. That's about the, the equivalent of a, a three-year-old baby saying, I'm not going to drink milk until I can understand how it works. There'd be a lot of burials, wouldn't there? You can't understand God. Can you understand that? You can't understand God. So the knee-jerk reaction is, I can't understand, so there's no point in trying. I can't understand God, but I can play hide-and-go-seek with him and treasure hunts with him because he leaves clues for his kids. He's like Robinson Crusoe. Where Robinson Crusoe comes into this, this beach and he thinks he's alone on an island and he suddenly sees this footprint. He goes, ooh, that's not my footprint. I'm not alone. That's how God works. He's actually quite playful. But he gives us enough so that we would understand. And so when he has this uh, encounter with Lazarus and the cave and the grave and his sisters, it's an encounter between a God who is impossible to take hold of and understand and a people who have never seen anything like what they're about to experience. And this is actually prayer at work, this, in, this, uh, this situation with Lazarus. Now, Lazarus... You know about Lazarus? Lazarus, uh, they lived in Bethany. Mary and I better get some notes out so I sort of pretend I'm following something. Okay. Where I was going to start, actually, so my notes did remind me, was that in the beginning, God created, didn't he? That's what we say. There was, even if you say there was a big bang, you've still got to say who did the big bang. And so there's a, the cause. And, and there was this... God created, and, and, and in Genesis it says God spoke and it came into being. God's word is powerful. God actually creates by speaking. He's, I, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He vo- he's voice activated. He speaks and things happen. He's able to do that. Let there be light, and there's light. Woo, you must be God. Yeah, I am. Cool. And he made the sea and the oceans, and he said, let there be, and it happened. What was inside him came out through his voice, and he spoke. And then John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And so God said, you know, I spoke, and I, and I, I created, but in this creation, and we're not going to cover everything today, creation got distorted because of the presence of evil. And all I will say about evil is that God created the possibility for rebellion against him so that there was free will. And angelic beings did rebel, and he didn't take away their power. He said, I'll overcome you. And those angelic beings became what we know as Satan, and they couldn't take on God because he's much bigger than they are, so they attacked what he made. And so they attacked his creation, the created people. And what they did, what, what, what evil does, is it took God's creation, and God's creation was designed to live in vibrancy with his spirit. But when that got shut down because of evil, because that spirit is very, very sensitive. And so when rebellion comes in and I start saying, I want my way, not God's way, I turn away from him and I start to activate something else. I start linking with evil. And it's not something I'm aware of. It's something that just happened. It's like catching a disease. You don't go and look for it. It just catches you. And so this disease became, was evil that corrupted the human heart and began to create in the human being that whole struggle that says, I want to be God. I'm in charge. It's my life and all of that stuff. 
And so when the word, and so human beings became those who lived from the outside in. In other words, their bodies became their reference point to happiness. So my life is spent educating my body, making my body feel good, looking after my body, having holidays for my body, doing whatever my body wants, feeding it. You know what I mean? Because from the outside in, I'm going to find all the things that God promised through His Spirit. I'm going to find them through gratification from the outside in. And so the fallen world is all about that. The fallen world is all about power, corruption, uh, control. When the Word became flesh, Jesus appeared, and Jesus took us back to what it was like before the fall. Jesus took us back to what it's like for somebody to live from the inside out. The Word became flesh, and we, in Corinthians it says Jesus was a quickening spirit. He's a, he's a life-giving spirit. So he came into this world that was working from the outside in, and he said, I'm going to show you how to live life from the inside out. In other words, from heaven to earth. Because until then, we were saying, we were, we were even conversing with God from earth to heaven. Lord, you under, don't understand my problem. You, Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. God, if you're there, I want. And it's all from earth to heaven. And sometimes he doesn't seem to care. And Jesus came in and said, you, you're asking from the wrong place. And so Jesus came and through the cross, he opened up uh, that, he restored that which was lost. I, I, I'm covering an enormous amount of ground in about three minutes. I'm just saying that everything I'm saying today is quite, I can substantiate it. I'm not playing games. I'm not whistling in the dark. I can substantiate it, but I'm just trying to focus on one thing today, which is when Jesus, the word became flesh and lived among us, he began to restore and redeem that which was lost. He began to say to human beings, if you actually allow God to voice activate your spirit, you will have a power from heaven that will overcome the earth and overcome evil and overcome sickness. Not because of your power, but that you have activated what has always been dormant in you because that's how you were created to be. You following it? So, why I want you to come on Tuesday night is that I think Graham Cook has done a brilliant job of describing this in 30 minutes how to live from the outside in and how it works. So I'm not going to do it right now. But it's this thing, you see, the essence of what we're going to talk about this week and next week is instead of asking God to heal my, just to heal my body or to help me uh, get restored from the things of the past, which He will do, He's actually saying to us, um, when I died on the cross, I took all of that in order that you might become the person I always saw you to be. And so there's a dead person and a living person in us. The dead person is the one that died with Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And the loving person is the one who lives, Jesus is calling out. This is what Lazarus we're going to talk about. I'm just trying to get you to think about this. So when you define yourself, I want to do this with the I am second group and the AA group where they say, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. And I want to go, no, I think we should change that. My name is John and I'm becoming and fill in the gap. I have a future that I'm going to. And I think, I think we're, and you don't have to believe me. I know you guys and you know me. We don't have to be alcoholics to have problems with this. We have so little vision of who we are. We're defined by our past. And God says, I've taken all the negative of your past on the cross. I'm trying to get you to walk with me into the future that is beyond your imagination. But you're so struggling with this that we're like, you know, you cut trees 
and then the branches are on a stack and they still blossom because there's still sap in them, but they're really dead. That's what we're talking about next week. But <laughs> we still have that life in us that's actually being killed, but God's just saying, don't pay attention to that. I'm calling something else to life. And so the word became flesh and lived among us for a while. And then Jesus said to his disciples, go into the holy world, wait for my spirit to fall on you and go and share this. And what was he saying? I want everyone who follows me to be the word made flesh, to live um, in a way that is impossible without my spirit. So God is wanting us to be a church that releases people into what you call their destiny, releases people into becoming all that he has actually already won and released over you. And that is so difficult for us to understand. We just have to repeat, 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 encourage, 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 because it seems so crazy. And like the people that were led, set free from Egypt, we start saying it's better going back to slavery because that's what we know. There are people in this church that are sick because they're scared of being healed. Because if I'm healed, I've got to take responsibility. And if I'm not healed, I still get my disability and I still have my stuff. I'm not, spo- I'm not pointing fingers and I'm not making accusations. I'm just telling you that it is so. That we are so used to our disability that that becomes our security. And when Jesus says, I've come to set you free, you go, I'm not sure I want to be set free. I actually feel very secure in my dysfunction. So we have to help each other and say, I think it's time for you to get out of that because it's, you know, quite frankly, I can't stand it and nor can you. So we help each other. But we start building a vision. That's why testimony is so important. Because if God can work with you, maybe there's hope for me. That's cool stuff. It's very cool stuff. Because we're so problem-centered. And this is what God has been teaching me when he sort of pulled me out of my grave. That's basically where this comes. I was dead. And he raised me up. And he said, open your shirt. And I was a slave. And I had a big Superman emblem on my chest. And he said, this is your identity. What are you doing here? And just something came up. And he said, stand up and walk out. Then it was five years of working it out. And still. But there was a core moment where it just went, oh, my word. What am I doing? So, Lazarus. Uh, We won't look at the notes. Let's just talk about Lazarus. Lazarus is living in Bethany. Bethany is is on a little route. You go up... you come out of Jerusalem, up a little a hill, Mount of Olives, and you turn around, you get a nice view, and you take pictures of Jerusalem. All, a lot of the pictures of Jerusalem you see are from Mount of Olives. And then you just go over the crest of the hill, down a road, wind around, and you come to Bethany, and you come to Lazarus Place, which is now a coffee shop. And you can buy cold Coke there. And then you can go into this, this, this church, because there are churches everywhere in Israel for everything, and this church is actually very, very famous for its acoustics, and people stand in there and sing. So that whoever the prima donna is in your group will tend to go, oh, 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 and then they listen to the voice. That's where Lazarus lives. Anyway, Lazarus had a house there, and his sister was Mary and Martha. Now, Mary was the woman who came to Jesus while he was having a dinner party and went totally crazy and fell at his feet and wept and, and washed his feet and anointed his feet and made a mess. And, and Simon, the, the, the host, was getting really ticked off. And Jesus smiled at Mary and frowned at Simon. And said, Simon, you didn't, when I came here, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't say hello. You didn't do anything. This woman's come in and look at her. I really like that. Simon was ticked off because he is a man of class. 
But when God comes to visit, he tends to say, this is what I, how I see things. You're just actually proud, arrogant, and opinionated. She's desperate. I love what she's doing. Because out of the overflow of her heart, she's giving me worship. How many of you are still getting over being dignified while you come before God? We all are. Just confess it. But we might, the way to get over that is just give me a greater revelation of what you've done for me. You know, drowning men aren't dignified. I nearly drowned. You don't get dignified. You just say, help. You don't say, I don't like the color of the surfboard. You're rescuing me. And I, I don't like the look of you. I just say, thank God you came. That's what releases worship. You just know how desperate you were and how gracious that person was again to save you. And you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can't help it. All that proud people do drown. Anyway, that's another story. So, Lazarus has the sister who's obviously dysfunctional, so it might give us a clue that he came from an I am second kind of home. Because Mary obviously was working the streets at some point. She was probably a prostitute. So we'd, just, just reading between the lines, there was probably some things going on there. And they were quite, a, obviously, the brother and sisters where any, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in this house. And Jesus, after that, stayed with them. And, and he was known as their friend. So you're friends with Jesus. You figure that if anything goes wrong and you call on him, he's going to just come running. So this is the part that should be encouraging to us. Because they're friends of Jesus. He spent time with them. He really praised Mary for what he, she did. He, he saw her heart and he just loved it. And her life was totally changed. Because there was a man who for once didn't use her and just pulled her up and said, you are worthwhile as a woman. It's cool. Jesus raises women up to be dignified and men. And Martha was the cook. You remember, she was the one who was busy all the time and then came to Jesus and said, why don't you tell her to help me? There was a lot of stuff in this house. And Jesus said, oh, Martha, Martha, chill out. Mary's doing the right thing right now. I'm not going to be here for long. So be in my presence right now. Let's converse. Some of us are a little busy. Never have time for Jesus. Chill out. Give him some time. He might just set you free. Don't take yourself so seriously. Most of the things you're busy with can wait. Anyway, that's another story too. So we've got a lot of stories here. We've got to get to Lazarus in the cave. So Mary and Martha are there. Mary and Martha. Martha's the busy one. Mary's the little sort of wafty. Um, and Lazarus gets sick. And he gets so sick, he actually he's, he looks like he's going to die. So Martha, because she's the one who's the A personality and, and wants to organize everything, and if this resembles any of you, that's entirely coincidental. <laughs> and so what? guess who goes to, guess who goes to send a message to, to Jesus? Martha, of course. And they said, Jesus, you've got to come. Your friend Lazarus is dead, is dying, or is dead, is sick. And Jesus, their friend, says thanks for the news. And the disciples hear it, and um, he doesn't seem to be too concerned, which... It was like when he slept in the boat and the disciples said, don't you care, there's a storm and we might die. And apparently he didn't. Well, he did, but he didn't think they were going to die. So he was listening to his father and his father was saying, there's no rush. So first thing to learn in our lives is that our ways are not his ways. And just because he doesn't jump to your command doesn't mean he doesn't love you. And just because he doesn't say yes, sir, no, sir to you, doesn't mean he doesn't love you. 
Because you see, he, he also doesn't want to be on a needs-based relationship where all, the only time you talk to him was in, is when you're in a crisis. So you have to let him define the relationship he wants with you, and he wants a relationship of father and child. He's not performance-oriented. So when you say, this is what I do for God, he says, I don't really care. I don't, if I needed help, I'd get the angels. I want relationship with you. I don't want functional relationship because what you do is so imperfect. It just takes more time to clean it up, quite honestly. So... He doesn't rush back. And Martha and Mary interpret that as he doesn't care, which is, I would too. I'd be really ticked off. And so two days later, Jesus says to his disciples, "Um, we need to go to see Lazarus because he's asleep. And they think he's saying, well, if he's asleep, then he'll wake up and he'll be better. He's just resting. He's got flu. And Jesus said, no, he's dead. Well, if he's dead, why are we sitting here and you don't seem to care? And he goes, because there's more going on here than you realize right now. So they stroll back to Bethany and obviously somebody because uh, shouts out, runs back to Mary and Martha and say, Jesus is on his way. So Martha runs out and questions Jesus and, you know, is, is, is pretty upset. And they have this conversation. Um, Martha... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever ask. And, and Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And, and he th- uh, she thinks he's talking theology. I know he will rise again. In the resurrection of the last day, don't worry, there are lots of people out there to take care of that kid. Uh, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. I am the resurrection and the life. I am actually more than you understand right now. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah. What's happening here is they're having this conversation totally missing each other. If I said to you, who believes that God created the earth? You probably all put your hands up. Do you, who believes that there is a heaven? You'll all put your hands up. Who believes God can theoretically heal the sick? We all put our hands up. We, we have a lot of belief systems that we claim we believe. Right? But what's going on here is Martha's got a, a, a brother who's dead and a God in Jesus who says he loves them and there's no, nothing happening. And he, she comes to Jesus and says, if you had been here, my brother would have died. And he says, I'm here now. And they have this discussion. I am the resurrection. Yes, I know that you are the resurrection. But she doesn't see it as now. She still sees that when you die, this will kick in like most of us. Most of us have been indoctrinated to believe that God only works when you're dead. God works when you die. And he takes you, apparently, to be with him. And if you're a child and you die, he, he wants another angel in heaven. Have you heard that nonsense? It's nonsense. He doesn't kill anyone. He rescues and redeems. He doesn't take people before they should die they die and he redeems them. He's not a vindictive God. He's not a cruel God. He's not a, uh, a God that is unpredictable. He works with the fabric of life and redeems. And so Jesus comes to Martha and then Martha goes and calls Mary and they have this discussion and Mary comes and Mary is weeping. And Jesus is not indifferent to these people. And we hear, we, it gets really quite poignant because Martha tends to talk to him through her head. 
And Martha comes through her heart. And she says to him, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet again. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. And he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. And I want to say this. Begin to bring yourself to the Jesus who weeps over you. Begin to bring yourself to a Jesus who loves to that level. Because he loves you to that level. You need to bring yourself to the Jesus that God released into, onto earth. Not the Jesus that you think he is. That's why we need to read the scriptures. We need God's revelation of himself, not our warped projection of who we, who we think he is. Jesus came to that family whom he loved. They didn't understand what was going on. And he wept as he saw how they struggled with what was going on. Jesus responds from compassion. He weeps over you. He laughs over you. He likes you. Let God minister to you from his heart, not through your head. If you let him touch your heart, you will find him. If you try and work it out, you will spend years and years distant. And so Jesus said, where have you laid him? And those around at verse 37 said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? That's that other opinion and that other voice that says, if you're really God, you could have cut through all this nonsense and you could have just healed Lazarus. You could have given a word like with the centurion whose child was healed at home and you said, just go, she's better. Why couldn't you say that to Lazarus? And eventually we learn to stop asking so many questions and we just come before Jesus and say, Lord, here I am. And so with their particular moment, which was Lazarus dead for four days, Jesus says something to them, and he says, uh, he says, take me to where you laid him, which means when you had this problem, and in your case it's Lazarus, where did you leave him? Where did you leave that problem? Maybe it's the abortion issue. Where did you leave it? Where is it now? You see, I say to Jesus, oh God, I just want you to heal me, and he says, I don't do it like that. I'm real. So I want to get real with you. So whatever the issue is, he wants to go deep. And he says, where did you last tackle that issue? Where did you lay your brother when there was nothing else you could do? And they said, we put him in a grave because that's what people do. So they put him in a grave and they rolled a big stone over. They wrapped him up and they left him there. And Jesus said, take me to where you laid him. They have never, ever, ever contemplated resurrection. What does that tell you? You and I have never, ever, ever, ever contemplated what might be possible in our lives in the presence of Jesus. In real time. So take me to where you had to let go. So they come to the grave. And he says, roll away the stone. Tell me, I'm just using this because it came up today. Tell me about your abortion. I'm not going there. It stinks. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to bring up that stuff. I don't want to go there, God. 
Please, let's just skirt around that. Just leave that little gravestone there. Roll away the stone. I am the resurrection. All you see behind that stone is your limitation and the, the end of your tether. I am the living God who created all things. If you roll away the stone, I'll show you what I can do with what you cannot do. But if you don't roll away the stone, you'll never know it. You've got to take a risk. Trust me. So they roll away the stone. This is a huge metaphor for prayer. It's engagement. It's people working with people with Jesus. It's not private. We are not healed because we're so private. We're so proud. It will not happen unless we let God in with other people into life and into our past and into our future. And it, happens, it can happen quickly. Resistance is, takes much longer. Anyway, they come and he opens the grave. And guess what? They didn't need deodorant. There wasn't a smell. And Jesus, you see, Lazarus' body is dead. His spirit is alive. Jesus came to call spirits to life. He's calling your spirit to life today, to greater life. He's always doing that. Because I want you to live from the inside out. So he calls, who's he calling to? The body? Lazarus, come. No, he's calling to the spirit of Lazarus. And he's doing what Jesus, he's making the word flesh. He's making what God did to him, he's making it real for Lazarus. When we baptize people today, they go under the water. They are dead. They're in the grave with Lazarus. They rise up, and it's a metaphor for let your spirit come alive more and more. How do you feed your spirit? Only with God. I begin to start saying, God, you show me how to live, not my body wants to eat, my body wants to run, my body likes this, my body likes that, my body's sick of this marriage, my body wants this. It's not from my body now, it's from my spirit that needs to be fed. And so Jesus calls out into that cave, into a place that nobody has ever seen anybody walk out, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus shuffles out. And they all freak. I mean, imagine. What? He's four days dead. Must have been cool. I mean, imagine. And then what does he do? He says to them, what, does it, what doesn't he do? He doesn't take a lot of accolades. He doesn't go up and say, Lazarus, give me a hug, man. Nice to see you back. He says to them, he says, you take the grave clothes off your brother. Take your help. Friends and family, take the grave clothes off. See, part of the spirit coming alive is learning to shed the stuff that we've trusted in. That's what Jesus came to do on earth as in heaven. There are some of you here this morning that are living in caves and graves. And Jesus is calling to your spirit and saying, come out. There's some of you who are scared of letting him in because of the odor. It could be called shame. It could be called embarrassment. It could be called unbelief. And he just wants to tell you, don't be afraid. I will not humiliate you. You've already done that to yourself. There are some of you looking for life's answers through your bodies, through your work, through your striving, through relationships, through whatever it might be. It'll never happen. He says, give me your spirit, and I will call that spirit into the life that you haven't even dreamed. But if you could see it, and I'll begin to show you, you will see things that you never thought possible. 
I say this every week, or not every week, but a lot of time, because it's so true, that my standing here is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle. Because I never, ever thought I would ever do this again. I was so dead. I speak of that which I I know. And that is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I still have voices of people saying, Oh, he cheated on his wife. Oh, why is he pastor of a church? And I just want to smile and say, Because God is great and you suck. You know? I bear testimony to a God who is gracious. I bear testimony to a God who loves extravagantly and powerfully. And I am passionately with you, I know, saying, Lord, we want to see this more. Because there's something very, very wonderful about dead people walking. There's something very wonderful about dead people who don't smell. There's something very wonderful about grave clothes falling off. And for some of you, you don't believe it's possible. And Jesus, I speak into those spirits this morning and I say, come out. Come out because the living God sees you healed, sees you freed, sees you with a new identity, sees you in a place that you can't see yourself. But don't worry about that. Just say, Jesus, I want to be where you want me to be. And taking the grave clothes off is the journey we have together as a church. That means you have to show up. That means you have, the part you have to play is to be part of a community. Jesus will do a lot, but he won't do everything. He could have said, um, Father, I ask for angels to roll the, grave, the, the, the stone away. He said, you roll the stone away. He could have just gone to the grave and done the thing and come back to Mary and Martha with Lazarus in front of him and said, look, look what I can do. But he did it with them because he wanted them to grow through the process of going through the supernatural. That's what he wants for us as well. That means you have to go through the risk, the fear, the awkwardness to discover the great power of the living God. Right? So, as we gather to to break bread this morning, give God permission to open your spirit up. Give God permission to take you further than you've ever been. Give God permission to bring you to life in a way that you never thought you could live. Take all the conditions you have about your happiness off. In other words, if I could get married, I'd be happy. If I didn't have my kids with me, I could be happy. If I had a job, I'd be happy. Just say, I'm happy. I know that's a a declaration. That's a declaration. It's really serious, this. It's really serious. Because God says, I've come that you might have life now. So why wait? So as you come to break bread, let it be a prayer. Let it be a prayer and a declaration of God saying to you, may I have permission to roll away some more, or will you roll away any stones that you might be aware of? And will you have the courage and the, the trust in me to let me take you further? Because I love you. And you don't have to be imprisoned anymore. Lazarus is God's promise to everyone on earth. Well, that's enough. So, Father, we pray for that. We pray for your Holy Spirit to touch our spirits. Let him voice activate your spirit right now. 
wherever your spirit is residing, start opening it up to him and just say, Jesus, I give you permission. You know, you might have a grotto of caves inside you. You might have all kinds of caves where you're saying, not here, not there, and this and that. And God just is going to wander through your life and he's going to say, you know, this thing that you've been hiding, just let me in. We might not have anything that we're hiding. He's just saying, you're not hiding anything. Just come out into the light a little bit further. He really isn't angry. He just loves to bring people to life and to set them free. And we're all in a process of that, so it never ends. And he doesn't mind the Mary and Martha in us. He doesn't take you as seriously as you, you take yourself. So he, he can work with Mary or Martha. He can actually work with Lazarus, who's dead in the ground. He's amazing. So we sang a song right at the beginning, If I Were a Butterfly, which is for kids, which is us. How do you see yourself right now? If you were to stand up here in one phrase, describe who you are. I wonder what we would hear you say. And so, Father, I just ask you to release your identity into our hearts. Who, who are you becoming? You see, he doesn't want me to stand up and say, I'm John the Caterpillar. He's saying, I'm John the, 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 the Butterfly. You're seeing a caterpillar right now, but I'm a butterfly in the making. And Father, I pray you release visions for who we are in you and make it... And, and, and we give you permission to help us to allow ourselves to go into that chrysalis, that grave, that, that place of transformation, so that you can release in us all that you desire for us to be. That's what he does. Our symbols on earth of what heaven is like and the banquet in heaven. And Jesus had a meal with his disciples just before he left. And he said, I want you to... to to share this meal as a, as a symbol of my love for you, a symbol and a declaration of my presence with you, um, that you will always remember that you had this meal and then I was crucified and you thought it was all over and then I was raised from the dead and everything changed. And he said, everything always changes with me.